I think I have heartburn. Leftover shepherd's pie. <laughs> the original shepherd's pie didn't give me heartburn. Mm-hmm. That's why I said leftover, not just... I know, but why would... Maybe it was the dill salad. No. Dill would never give me heartburn. It loves me <laughs> as much as I love it. Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy? I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. This week we're discussing chapter 31, Elfbark. And the epigraph of this chapter is speaking on the betrayal of the catalyst by the white prophet. Or at least it doesn't say by the white prophet. It says, by his love he is betrayed and his love betrayed also. And another lesser-known scribe and prophet says, The heart of the catalyst is bared to a trusted one. All confidence is given, and all confidence betrayed. The child of the catalyst is given into his enemy's hands by one whose love and loyalty are above question. Now, I don't know about you, but that second one, I thought kind of could fit with how B is taken later. Yeah, I, I can because see that. Fitz trusts the fool openly in this in in that point in time too, and there's a lot of love. And when he touches the fool's face on the carving that the fool made for him, he actually reaches through to the fool, and that's what makes the fool break. And after that, they know his location and his daughter is given i could see that too it's it's a little bit more of a stretch than what's coming up i think next chapter it's not this chapter but next chapter but (laughs) that does work too i was just thinking about how fool said that usually prophecies after they have happened you can look back and fit them to match the two old men would debate and decide which one. <laughs> yes, yeah. And so I w- I've been trying to think of all the prophecies in duality of maybe they aren't specific to one certain thing. Although, yeah. perhaps this is supposed to be about what's ha- coming because I'm sure Robin Hobb did not <laughs> have the full series mapped out in her brain fully at this point in time. Right. But that doesn't mean she couldn't have gone back and been like, this can works. I, yeah. Can this work? Yeah, I don't know. But I like the idea that it could. <laughs> and for those uh, listeners who do not quite remember what's going on in the next chapter, not this one, but the next one, the fool is taken over by the coterie and through the fool gets the name of the village that Molly and Beric are staying near with their child, their, his child, with yes. Nettle. So... That's the betrayal, at least as Fool sees it later on. That's true. But I don't know if Fitz sees it as a betrayal. No, I think the Fool beat... Overall, I think the Fool beats himself up more about it than Fitz does. Fitz is betrayed by it, sure, but he's also like, they are using you. Right, and (laughs) Fitz has been a victim to uh, skills skill usage Mm -hmm. before so i think he he has the more mature outlook on it compared to the fool yes yeah which is a rarity yeah 
So yeah, the the beginning of that chapter of this chapter is headed up by that, which is interesting because it's mainly a warning for next one, but there's some connotations throughout this one too. This right. chapter, it kind of points to to get us thinking: who does Fitz implicitly trust? Right. Overall, with everything, and doesn't have to say it. Who love? Who does he love? And right now, that's the fool. Yeah. Through. Well, when I was first re- reading through it, I was pretty sure it was going to be Night Eyes in some way. Oh, really? Yeah, because that was the only one when I was reading through. It was like, well, that's the only person he actually really relies on and trusts. That's fair. I guess, was it two chapters ago when Fitz had the whole conversation about how he, how he does love the fool? Just yeah. not the way, <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. the whole like plumbing conversation, so... <laughs> All right, so in the beginning of this chapter, then, as we dive into it, they are waking up after their experience in the the Garden of Dragon Statues, I guess. And after Starling and Fitz's conversation, Ketrickin and him look over the map once again and kind of determine what their next steps are, because they've diverged from that main road to go this way they found this and we're like okay verity's not over here so they're kind of figuring out okay we have to retrace our steps go back the way we came meet up with the road again and continue along that right and part of the problem is fitz does not want to walk on the road anymore because it is such a strain but there's really no other option to get where they need to go and, but he and, also agrees that's the best route. Yes, he is willing to do it. He is just making it known that he doesn't love the idea. And then in this conversation, Fitz realizes how scared and sad, I guess, Ketrickin is. And she is clearly down. And there are more lines on her face than when he knew her last at Buckkeep. And she is worn and weary from travel. All of her clothes are kind of gross because... I'm sure all of them are. (laughs) I mean, yeah. But I think in this deep introspection into how much the queen has changed since he last saw her at Buckkeep, he realizes that she is kind of struggling a lot with this. And it makes him feel some type of pity. And he wants to hug her or give her comfort, but he can't seem to quite get over the threshold of physical comfort so he opts for words which are not necessarily his strong suit but he does say that they're gonna get there and they're going to find verity she lifted her her eyes to meet mine she tried to put faith into her gaze and voice as she said yes we will i heard only courage so it's uh, it's wearing on all of them. It's been a long journey so far. They've gone through a lot of things, and there's been a lot of dead ends so far. Right. And Ketrickin is is slowly realizing there's only like one more one other place yeah. <laughs> that we know of uh-huh. that he and, could be. And as far as she knows, he's dead. They're going to find his corpse, is what she's probably thinking. So. She keeps getting hope from Fitz. I'm like, oh, he's alive. And then, you know, they don't hear from him ever. And he can't, Fitz can't reach out to him and Mm -hmm. know all these different things. So she can't get her hopes up. Like she said before, when uh, she was talking to Fitz earlier, is like, I can't rely on those hopes anymore. Right. So. They tear down their camp. 
move onward. And Fitz is remarking on how well they're moving as a team, almost like a coterie, he says, and Night Eyes chimes in. It's like a pack. He pauses by Fitz and closes his eyes and lays back his ears in pleasure as Fitz is scratching him and says, if your mate makes you send me away, I shall miss this greatly. I won't let that happen. You believe she will make you choose. I refuse to think about it just now. Ah, he fell over on his side and then rolled to his back so I could scratch his belly. He bared his teeth in a wolfish smile. You live in the now and refuse to think of what may come, but I, I find I can think of little else save what may come to be. These times have been good for me, my brother, living with others, hunting together, sharing meat, but the howling bitch had it aright last night. Cubs are needed to make a pack, and your cub, I cannot think of that just now. I must think only of what I must do today to survive, and all I must do before I can hope to go home. Which is very interesting because it's definitely a role reversal, which Night Eyes points out here. And it does go to show how much Night Eyes is evolving. I don't really think it goes to show how much Fitz has evolved at all or gotten from the bond because that's in other ways, I think. And a lot of people in his shoes would be thinking the same thing of just like one day at a time. Let's move forward. But it does go to show that Night Eyes is thinking of the future and what next and what, you know. Right. How do we plan for that? And I think it goes to show kind of how scared he is to lose Fitz, which makes sense, obviously. But I don't think we get very many examples of Night Eyes being the one worried about Fitz in a way that's like, I'm going to lose this person forever. We had a whole like three chapters where they were separated and all we saw was Fitz worrying about never seeing Night Eyes again. And I think that this is a good juxtaposition to that of now Night Eyes is thinking, what if this ends and I don't get to see him again? Mm -hmm. And I think it's really sweet and sad. (laughs) And it also makes me a little frustrated at Starling because he she has put this fear in his mind now that he's going to be abandoned and i hate that he even makes a couple jokes about it i think even next chapter he mentions that maybe he'll just go be bonded to ketrickin after <laughs> fitz is made to lose him mm-hmm. you know? so with starling's reminder they'd rejoin the group get everything ready to go and the fool the fool is approached by fitz And they have a little conversation. Fitz, have you ever felt like you recalled something, but when you groped after it, there was nothing there? Sometimes, I said. I think it happens to everyone. No, this is different, he insisted quietly. Since I stood on that stone the day before yesterday and suddenly glimpsed the old world that was here, I keep having odd half-memories. Like him. He stroked the dragon's head gently a lover's caress to the wedge-shaped reptilian head. I can almost remember knowing him. He suddenly fixed me with a pleading look. What did you see back then? And Fitz describes that it was just a busy market day, people are all around, and the fool asks, did you see me? To which Fitz says, I'm not sure. I suddenly felt very uneasy speaking about it. Where you were, there was someone else. She was like you, in a way, no color to her, and behaving, I think, as a gesture. You spoke of her crown, 
carved like rooster heads and tails. Did I? Fitz, I can recall little of what I said immediately afterward. I only recall the feeling and how swiftly it faded. Briefly, I was connected to everything. Part of it all. It was wonderful, like feeling a surge of love or glimpsing something perfectly beautiful or... He struggled for words. The skill is like that, I told him softly. What you felt is the pull of it. It is what a skill user must constantly resist, lest he be swept away on it. So I want to pause here because I think this is really interesting that first of all, we're getting confirmation that the fool was connected in some way to the skill and it wasn't necessarily through his own ability, it seems. Right. But I think the most interesting piece of information is that the fool can't really remember what it was that he saw when he was skilling. And I find that so interesting because... I don't think we see this problem with Fitz, but also there's a difference in how Fitz enters the skill road dreams and how the fool seemed to. And I mean that in that Fitz seems to be himself standing in a memory and the fool almost took over the mind of this other catalyst or I'm sorry, prophet it was more similar to me with this comparison to the dragon keepers actually living in those specific people's memories in yes. Kelsingra rather than just experiencing all of the memories spring up around you. Right. So I thought that was really interesting because we haven't seen in this series yet an example of the skill affecting people in a different way and i think it really brings to question is fitz the weird one do all the other skilled people have the same reaction as the fool does or is this something someone who is not trained in the skill but happens upon it how they react to it i think it's more like that i think that the fool in this case would be the weird one which is (laughs) (laughs) kind of apt for his life i suppose (laughs) But uh, it could be similar to other unskilled users who are pulled into that situation. But but I also find it interesting that he doesn't remember the details. Because I think we have seen where Fitz doesn't fully remember or he doesn't really heed the skilled dreams. But he seems to remember. Like, for example, in I believe it's the first book when he is... In the king's chamber, he is seeing through Shrewd's eyes. He seems to remember that fine, but he doesn't take it as a skilled dream. He just had it's just a weird dream he had, I think. So I find it interesting that the memory is affected of the fool. And I wonder why. I think it's just because he's unskilled, untrained, to be honest. In the next chapter, when he is taken over by the Coterie, he doesn't remember that event either. Mm -hmm. And I feel like every time he is connected through the skill like that or used as a conduit to do certain actions, it's just it's his mind not being present. It's being fully taken over by the character or as like a as a player in that scene. Right. So he's not involved technically like his brain is not. I wonder if. That's partially because of him being a white. Maybe. 
if it has something to do with, I mean, I think about how B describes how visions work and how sometimes it just kind of takes you over. So I wonder if the skill somehow taps into that section. I don't know. I just found sure. it very interesting. Mm-hmm. So the fool is very interested and says, oh, so that was skilling. And Fitz reminds him what it was like for him coming out. He describes basically what the fool was saying when he first comes out of that trance. He says that you were ec- ecstatic. He said something about a, about somebody's dragon that you were to introduce. It made small sense. Let me think. Realder's dragon. And he had promised to fly you. Ah, my dream last night. Realder. That was your name. He caressed the head statue as he spoke. When he did so, the oddest thing happened. My wit sense of the statue surged, and night eyes came springing to my side, every hackle on his back standing erect. I know the hair on the back of my neck stood up as well, and I recoiled, expecting the statue to suddenly stir to life. The fool shot us a puzzled glance. What is it? They explain that they... It feels like it's alive, and he repeats the name Realder experimentally, but nothing else happens. Right. I do want to say, I think you thought that the girl on the dragon was Realder's dragon, mm-hmm. um, and I don't think that's the case anymore. You don't think so? It, I still think it is, even with this weird, I don't know. I don't know. I guess it could be. It just is weird that the dragon reacted to a name if it wasn't their own. Although I suppose they could have known Realder. I don't know. I am specifically acting on the details of one. It's in a wiki. I can't okay. remember which. There's like a couple week wikis for uh, Realm of the Elderlings. But it's in one of those that it lists Realder as in Salt's Coterie. Who is Girl on a Dragon. Because Salt held herself away from the rest of the group. And that's why it was unfinished. Two in the books. Girl on a Dragon specifically wants the rooster crown in exchange for everything. And that was the white prophets in the the vision. So that's why I'm like, that makes way more sense than what's described as the fool sitting uh, silently on top of his pack, his hand rested lightly upon one of the stone dragons, right? you know, and it's just like a random stone dragon that they're by. So maybe it's just that he's groping after the, he vaguely knows in some part of his mind that it's a dragon, but he doesn't know which one. So he just picked one and maybe this is real there. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure. Maybe it's, uh, it, it could be real. There's dragon. It could be the combination of his name with the hand stroking it and him thinking about that past skill vision mm-hmm. and that connection to that makes it surge with like a recognition of a memory. I don't know. I don't know either. It's very odd. (laughs) But the fool says, you know, it's just stone, cold and beautiful stone. I think perhaps your nerves are fraying. They continue on. They get back into the procession. And Kettle is glaring at them because she's usually the one behind. And the fool and Fitz are lagging and they catch up to her. And Kettle makes... Fitz think again on the stone game problem that he has not yet solved. So he tries to preoccupy his mind for the rest of the time there. Oh, I read this totally differently 
which now having heard you say that clearly, that's what it was. So Kettle waits for them and shoes the fool off and then asks Fitz. So, and I thought she's like, so, and he, he's like, I haven't figured it out yet. I thought they were talking about the stone dragons. Thought she's like, have you oh. figured out what they are yet? And he's like, <laughs> no, and I better work on that problem though. And she's like, yeah, clearly you haven't figured it out. And then goes on to look at the dragons. So I think you're right that it's about the problem, I, but I just read it as she wants Fitz to guess what the drag, <laughs> stone dragons are. So. It could be double meaning on her end just to see like what he responds if he opens up to anything. But I think Fitz for sure is just talking about the stone game. Right. I, I thought <laughs> that makes so much more sense because I'm over here like, why does he suddenly care about the stone game after her asking him <laughs> about the stone dragons? <laughs> So anyway, I just thought I'd point that out. <laughs> they uh, they retrace their steps all the way back to that plaza with the stone pillar, but stop before it to camp on that trail that's off of the stone road or the skill road. And Fitz is silently thinking, Ketrickin in his head for not getting too close. Right. And they have to be some distance away. I don't think they can see the stone plaza yet, mm-hmm. but it's very close. Yeah, he says, thus it w- we found ourselves only one hill away from the plaza of Blackstone when we made our camp that night. Night Eyes asks, shall we hunt? And Fitz says, I'm going to go hunting. And the fool jumps to his feet and says, I shall go with them if the wolf doesn't mind. The scentless one is welcome, Night Eyes says. And Fitz relays that. And they stride off. With Kettle's warning, don't be too long or I shall come and find you and stay away from the skill road on there. Right. Do you think it's weird that the fool is jumping up and offering to hunt here? Do you think this is already the influence of the skill? Or do you think this is just the fool wanting to spend time with Night Eyes and Fitz? I feel like it's the second one where he's just of his own volition. He kind of got the... He got what he was thinking about off of his mind to Fitz earlier this chapter. Right. And he's not as preoccupied anymore because I think the last time he went hunting, he was too preoccupied to even look up and Starling right. went with him. And I'm I'm guessing it was because he was trying to think through what had happened and keeps getting these little half memories and glimpses. So I think talking about it just kind of galvanizes him more and gets him into a normal routine. So I think it's more of that one. But I guess it could be the coterie pushing more. Right. At this point, I don't think they have found him, though, because they make a big deal about it later, as we'll we'll read about. Right. I don't know. So we'll see. They head out. They find a game trail, start following it. And not a word is spoken between all of them. And Fitz says, despite everything else, I heard myself say, this is good. Yes, it is. I shall miss it, is what Night Eyes says. I knew he was thinking of what Starling had said the night before. Let us not think of tomorrows that may never come. Let us just hunt, I suggested. And we did. So there's a porcupine that they come across, and with great difficulty, Fitz says he <laughs> persuades Night Eyes to find other prey. And we can come back if we don't find anything because they're slow anyways. And he's like, eh, fine. <laughs> <laughs> I just love it so much because Night Eyes knows it's a bad idea. And he's yes. still like, but what if this time? <laughs> <laughs> 
Night Eyes is off after a rabbit, fleeing towards the top of a hill. Fitz gives chase, knowing he really won't catch up, but the fool called out that he was going to go back. Fitz reaches the top of the hill. The rabbit was nowhere in sight. He halts, panting, looking around. And on the wind, he says he catches a scent, at once strange and oddly familiar. I could not identify it, but all the connotations to it were unpleasant. While I stood, nostrils flared, trying to place it. Night Eyes raced soundlessly up to me. Be small, he ordered me. I didn't pause to think, but obeyed, crouching where I was and peering about for danger. No, be small in your mind. This time I instantly grasped what he meant and threw my skill walls up in a panic. His keener nose had instantly associated the faint scent on the air with the scent of Burl's clothing in his saddlebags. I crouched as small as I could, make myself and set and reset my boundaries about my mind, even as I pleaded with reality that it was next to impossible that he be here. So, first of all, I think it's incredible that Night Eyes is instructing him to be small in his mind. And I guess, has he done this before? I feel like he might have. But I don't remember a specific instance of it, but it, I feel like this isn't the first time. I don't know. I know. It's really because <laughs> I'm thinking specifically, I can like, I have distinct memories of him telling B the same thing, I think, later. I think Verity tells him to like... Make himself small. Yeah, something like that. So I think Night Eyes kind of grasps the same instruction. Right. But I think it's really interesting that Night Eyes has caught on and knows how to protect him. That it doesn't matter how close Burl is. Or at least warn him, yeah. Yeah, to make his mind small. That's incredible. (laughs) And then also the level of trust that they have between them where he says make yourself small and immediately without thinking Fitz is just like in a ball on the floor (laughs) in the middle of this hill. Um, But I I think it's a lovely show of trust between the two and also shows how much Night Eyes tries to protect Fitz. And now they are worried about being found by Burl. Fitz's mind instantly springs to all three of them. They were in the city. They were by a skill pillar. There's one near them. All three of them could be, you know, a mile away or closer. Right. All within walking distance. And Night Eyes has to kind of reprimand him and say, like, get a hold of yourself. There's only one and he's not even close to us. Use your nose, if not your brain. Night Eyes scathingly reassured me. <laughs> Shall I kill him for you? He offered casually. Please, but be careful of yourself. Night Eyes snorted softly in disdain. He is fatter far than the wild pig I killed. He puffs and sweats just to walk down the trail. Lie still, little brother, while I get rid of him. Silent as death, the wolf moved off through the forest. And Fitz just sits there and waits. There's nothing. He's trying to reach out with his senses. He's trying to listen in. He's trying to sniff. And suddenly he can't stand to sit there any longer. He can't wait and crouch. So he surges to his feet, follows the wolf down as silently as uh, as night eyes as silently as he could. He is keeping very good track of where he is going now, as he wasn't when he was hunting, right? <laughs> trying to <laughs> orient himself and keep track of where everything is. And 
He says while he's going down like a strain of distant music, he was suddenly aware of their skilling and starts to listen in. I'm close, Burl is saying. I feel him. He draws near. Oh, I like not this place. I like it not at all. Be calm. A touch is all it will take. Touch him as I showed you, and his walls will come down. Will spoke, master to apprentice. And if he has a knife, he won't have time to use it. Believe me, no man's walls can stand before that touch, I promise you. All you need do is touch him. I will come through you and do the rest. Why me? Why not you or Carrot? Would you really have Carrot rather have Carrot's task? Besides, you are the one who had the bastard in your power and was stupid enough to, to hold him in a cage. Go and complete the task you should have finished long ago. Or would you care to feel our king's wrath again? I felt Burl shiver, and I trembled too, for I felt him. Regal. The thoughts were Will's, but somehow, somewhere, Regal heard them too. I was glad I was not Burl. With that sympathy thought creeping in. There! That was the bastard! Find him! I should have died then by all rights. Will had found me, had found my careless thought floating in the air. My brief sympathy for Burl was all it had taken. He bayed on my trail like a hound. I have him! There was a moment of poised tension. My heart hammered against my ribs as I sent my wit questing, wit questing out all around me. Nothing bigger than a mouse was close by. I found night eyes down the hill for me moving with swift stealth, yet Burl had said he drew near to me. Had he found a way to shield himself from my wit sense? Somewhere farther down the hill I heard the crash of a body through brush and a man's shout. The wolf was on him, I thought. No, brother, not I. I can stop there real quick before I move on, because I've, I've read quite a bit, but... We have, once again, an example of Regal kind of latched onto Will's skilling, being privy to all of their thoughts. We have Burl sent out on a task, executing a plan with Will's instruction of how to instantly make any man's shields drop around his mind, get into them, and then Will can go through and do whatever he wants to Fitz. And then we have a task from Carrot as well. A mystery task that isn't envious <laughs> or yes. enviable. What do you think his task is? Um, I think we find out later it is attacking Verity. Uh, I guess, yeah, you're reading forward and I try to stop at mm -hmm. the chapter, so. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, he makes, I don't know if it's full on attacking him or, or doing something, but after this point, after this night, Verity is no longer riding in Fitz's mind. He uses his skill strength to there's a blast coming up that like right. scatters things. And that's Verity uh, counterattacking or defending. And it kind of helps Fitz as well. And the fool. Right. So interesting. Mm -hmm. I can see how that would not be enviable. <laughs> yes, exactly. Although I guess they know that he's strong, but mm -hmm. Because of what they did, what he did when Fitz tried to kill Regal, mm -hmm. however many chapters ago. <laughs> but I guess they probably don't expect him to be that much stronger, probably. 
I would assume that he is like a hundred times more strong now, simply based on the fact that both of his arms have been dunked in pure skill. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> so I'm imagining that this has like amplified his powers in some way. But I do think it's interesting that we get this kind of sympathetic Burl. And even though Burl is literally in the middle of trying to hunt Fitz down, Fitz still has the sympathy that there's still this bit of Fitz that cares, that wants to help an old friend. Not really a friend, I think, ever, but at least someone he knew before Galen manipulated and drove all those nice thoughts out of his head right with actual you know mental manipulations and with the skill right (laughs) he has that sympathy for a few of the coterie members and this isn't the first time he's expressed it for burl because burl was tortured before right he felt that same sympathy and also noted that like he was treated okay when he was captured by Burl-ish. Right. Like, he wasn't an absolute terrible being tortured all the time kind of thing. But he is terrified of Will now when he never was before because of uh, the end of Royal Assassin when he was in the dungeons. Right. It's interesting because I don't think there is any sympathy for Will. I think he knows that there's probably the chance that this isn't all Will's own being, that some part of will has been changed because of skill and what Galen has taught him. But I don't think we ever really see that sympathy creep in ever, even before the like horribleness that was the end of last book. Yeah. Before that, it was just will was an unassuming no one person. No one really like knew much about him because everyone kind of like passed him over kind of thing. He wasn't noteworthy in any way. So I think we are getting Fitz's bias of, he knew Burl a little bit more right. than Carrot or Will beforehand. Maybe not like actually talk to him or knew him, but like knew he was like some, I don't know, some apprentice or whatever he was. He a, was. a Smith's apprentice, was yes, he? Okay. I think so. Because he used to be really buff. And I feel like a Smith's apprentice would be. Yeah. Or maybe he's woodworking. It might have been work. A carpenter's apprentice. One of the two. It's something that makes you really buff when you do it because he is not <laughs> anymore. <laughs> Yeah, so I feel like that's kind of Fitz's bias creeping into the narration here of I knew what Burl could have been. I didn't know Will at all. So a little bit more sympathy, plus also the one-on-one hands-on I was tortured with Will in the room. (laughs) Also, to be fair, I think Burl is the only one who shows any type of like guilt yeah i don't know like you can tell that he doesn't want to be a bad person he's literally Mm -hmm. doing everything to the letter of what he has to do and nothing more he doesn't want to be the bad guy he just has to follow orders Mm -hmm. and i like can appreciate that i suppose it does make him more sympathetic (laughs) but so yeah so he is a little bit of sympathy will grabs on to that burl uses that to say i found him and What they find is the fool. Yes. And so the crash is the fool being attacked. Mm Mm-hmm. It's that freak thing, the fool. Then vast anger. Where is the bastard? Burl, you clumsy moron. You have betrayed us all to him. But it was not I, but Night Eyes, who charged down on Burl. Even at my distance, I could hear his snarls. Wolf launched himself at Burl, and the skill shriek he sent up at the sight of those ravening jaws coming toward his face was such that Will was distracted. 
In that instant, I slammed up my walls and raced to join my wolf in the physical attack on Burl. So Burl distracts Will enough with his skill shriek, his cry of terror, basically, at a a wolf charging him in the middle of the night. (laughs) Yes, that, uh, that Fitz has time to defend himself mentally. Right. Before joining and trying to kill Burl. But Burl is much closer to the skill pillar than Fitz would have liked and manages to slip away into it right before Night Eyes can get to him. Night Eyes' second attack did tear legging and flesh, but Burl fled as if he was uninjured. That was the, you know, adrenaline pumping through him. Right. Just flees, gets through the pillar before Night Eyes can do any more damage. And as Burl has gotten away and Night Eyes is trying to stop and Fitz is running to catch up, all of a sudden a skill wave hits or a skill blast. Mm -hmm. It made no physical manifestation, yet the impact flung me to the ground and drove the breath out of me. It left me dazed, ears ringing, helplessly open to anyone who might wish to possess me. I lay there sick and stunned. Perhaps that was what had saved me. That at that moment, I felt absolutely no trace of skill within myself. But I heard the others. There was no sense to their skilling, only awestruck fear. Then they faded in the distance as if the skill river itself washed them away. I almost went reaching after them in my amazement at what I sensed. They seemed to have been shattered to fragments. Their dwindling bewilderment washed against me. I closed my eyes. Now, I want to say real quick... That's my assumption that it's Verity doing that, which would make sense with what happened. But Fitz shielded himself in his fear against Will. Those have to be some of the strongest shields and walls that he can put up. Right. And that blast left him stunned, flung him to the ground and drove any sense of skill from him. Yeah. And he felt that skill through the shield from who knows how many miles away. I guess, you know, skill doesn't care about distance. Right. But still. like, And it wasn't even aimed at him. That's the thing. This is. Potentially. Yeah. This is another instance where I'm just going to like wax poetically about how freaking strong Verity is in this skill. <laughs> and I mean, you're probably right that the, you know, laving your arms in liquid skill in silver probably amplified all of his ability to do so. And that's probably literally all that's keeping him upright and walking since right. he doesn't really eat. <laughs> yeah. So it's, I don't know, it's just insane how much strength and what the coterie must be feeling to have another member probably have that directed upon them. Right. Well, yeah, because even if only one of them gets hit, they're all connected in a way mm-hmm. that it affects them. And that made me wonder if maybe the fool was hit in the blast because Verity didn't recognize the being. And so that's why Fitz felt it even with his walls up because the fool was affected. I don't know, but it is clearly a immense show of power and the coterie was not up to the task of facing it. Yeah. They are wiped away almost instantly. And shattered into a lot of pieces. It's crazy. And then swept away. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. But they survive, so mm-hmm. I guess it's not that impressive. <laughs> it is still impressive, but, you know, I wish they wouldn't be a problem for our poor Fitzy boy anymore. 
Then I heard Kettle's voice frantically calling my name. Panic stained her voice. Night eyes. I'm already on my way. Catch up, the wolf told me grimly. I did as I was told. Kettle was standing outside of their tent, waiting for him. Fire had been built up, and he runs up and says, What's wrong? And Kettle says, It's the fool. We heard an outcry and raced outside. Then I heard the wolf snarling. We went toward the sound and found the fool. I am not sure what has happened to him. And then she realizes that Fitz is dirty and roughed up, and she asks, Were you attacked? And Fitz has to explain what happens. Mm -hmm. Like, no, not physically, but... And then explains the whole last event. (laughs) When I was finished, she nodded to herself, grimly confirming her suspicions. They reached for you and seized him instead. He has not the faintest idea of how to protect himself. For all I know, they have him still. What? How? I asked numbly. Back there at the plaza, you two were skill-linked, however briefly, by the strength of the stone and the strength of who you are. It leaves a sort of a path. The more often two are linked, the stronger it becomes. With frequency, it becomes a bond, like a coterie bond. Others who are skilled can see such bonds if they look for them. Often they are like back doors, unguarded ways into a skilled one's mind. This time, however, I would say they found the fool in your stead. So it gives us a little insight. Uh, it confirms what we had been talking about before from yes. Kettle herself, but also gives us a little insight into Bonds, which is talked about later on, mostly in the Tawny Man trilogy when Fitz is actually skilling with kind of a coterie, with Thick, with Dutiful, with Chade eventually, you know, all that. So those little links and skill bonds that he follows, those threads of silver. Right. So that's kind of our first indication of those bonds that can develop if someone with people who are not specifically trained to be a coterie. Yeah. Fitz goes into the tent and the fool is not just passed out. He is rigid. He is in some sort of almost like seizure. Yeah. His eyes open, his eyeballs twitching about as if he watched some terrible struggle we could not witness. The rigidity of his muscles and the coolness of his body reminded me of a corpse. I think this is really interesting because it makes me wonder, is this what Fitz looks like whenever he's skilling? No, I don't think so. Because <laughs> <laughs> we have seen through Fitz's eyes what Verity looks like when he's skilling, and it's not this. True. Yeah, I guess to be fair, this is like, <laughs> I, I mean more so when Fitz loses himself every once in a while. I wonder if he seizes up like this and is fighting, or if that's just the fool Doing his best to fight. Yeah. I don't know. But Kettle is instructing Fitz to skill to him because Fitz is the only chance that the fool has. If they still have him, Fitz has that bond with him. Fitz is the skilled one here. Fitz needs to save the fool. Right. And she scares him by saying, be careful when you skill to him, because if they have him, then they have you too. At least you put yourself at risk. Right. And... He starts kind of freaking out and he's ashamed because he pauses because he's so scared of being attacked by the skill again. And then she clarifies that, well, you can wait or they could use figure it out and use it to come to you yeah. either way. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so he's like, oh, good. So, you know, <laughs> I might as well just do it and help my friend. Yeah. She says your only choice is to battle them from his mind. Go on now. 
and he dips into it. Yes. He is also in this moment reminded of King Shrewd. Um, Mm -hmm. Kettle puts her hand on his shoulder and it reminds him of when he let Shrewd draw skill strength from him. And then it's back to being Kettle. And I think that goes to show how stressed he is about this moment that this feels like a big thing. And he's going to save his friend in this skill Mm -hmm. verse. (laughs) I knew an instant of terror as I sensed Will and Burl at the very edges of my perception. They were in great agitation about something. I wonder what. (laughs) I recoiled from them as if I had brushed a hot stove and narrowed my focus. The fool, the fool, only the fool. I sought for him. I almost found him. Oh, he was passing strange and surpassing strange. He darted and eluded me like a bright gold carp in a weedy pool, like the motes that dance before one's eyes after being dazzled by the sun, as well to clutch at the moon's reflection in a still midnight pond as to seek a grip on that bright mind. I knew his beauty and his powder power in the briefest flashes of insight. In a moment I understood and marveled at all that he was, and in the next I had forgotten that understanding. Then, with an insight worthy of the stone game, I knew what to do. Rather than attempt to seize him, I surrounded him. I made no effort to invade or capture, but simply encompass all that I saw of him and hold it separate from harm. It reminded me of when I had first been learning to skill. Often Verity had done this for me, helping me contain myself when the current of the skill threatened to spill me wide to the world. I steadied the fool as he gathered himself back into himself. I suddenly felt a cool clasping of my wrist. Stop it, he begged gently. Please, he added. And it smote me that he thought he needed that word. And Fitz contains him, brings the fool out of his trance. Right. And I just want to say that this shows how much Fitz has grown in the skill since even the beginning of this book. Mm-hmm. And all it took was a good teacher <laughs> and barely any instruction. Imagine how great he would be with I know. actual training. I know. It's so sad. But it is also interesting that we get to see a glimpse of, I assume, the fool's soul. I, I picture the being that you are in the skill. It's a pure distilling soul. of yes, like who, of you, who are. you are. Yeah. And the fool is golden. He is this great light, and I just find that so interesting because I don't think we ever see any other description like that of anybody, but the fool, he is somebody special. I think this shows that he is a prophet. He is who he says Mm -hmm. he is, that there is something real to him. Although I don't think the descriptions are ever actually about specifically what Fitz senses because it feels to me like it's just comparisons, like right. poetic comparisons of what it's like. So it's, you know, he darted and eluded me like a bright gold carp in, you know, a pond and and, and like the motes that dance before one's eyes after being dazzled by the suns at the sun as well to clutch at the moon's reflection in a still midnight pond as to seek a grip on that bright mind. So we, all we get is that it's a bright mind. I suppose, <laughs> I guess. I'm just imagining like this golden holy glow. <laughs> <laughs> and you can picture that. 
You know? I will. It's your mind's theater. (laughs) So Fitz is apologizing for what he had to do there. And the fool's like, no, I didn't like it. Not you, but what they did. They were rummaging through and smashing everything in my mind. Fitz asks, was it Burl? Ah, yes, that is his name, though he scarce remembers it himself these days. Will and Regal have taken him over for their own uses. They came through him into me, thinking they had found you. Or so it seems. How could I know such a thing? The skill brings strange insights. They cannot overcome your mind without showing much of their own, Kettle informed him grudgingly. She took a small pot of steaming water off the brazier. To me, she added, give me your elf bark. So, first of all, I think this shows that Burl is truly a sympathetic person or character and that he's not even himself anymore with how much skilling that they have done to create him into what they're using him as. I still think he's sympathetic in the way that Regal is and a product of what has been done right. to him. <laughs> That's he still fair. did do things, but yes, he is being subverted more and more by Will and Regal. Right. And I think it's really interesting that it's specifically Will or Will and Regal. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Regal is changing them all to do whatever it is that he wants, but it makes me wonder what Will is doing, or if it's Will and Regal because Regal can only do things through Will's I think that. skill. Yeah, okay. yeah. I was wondering if Will maybe had a little bit of hand in there, being like, "You must submit to me too." And yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know because he seems a little obsessed with power, although he's not capable of taking it from Regal, probably because of Galen. Yeah, I would assume. That is my own little theory. I would, I would assume, yeah. Because he is so power hungry. I can't believe he hasn't taken out Regal, who is kind of weak in the skill. So, I don't know. So, after Kettle asks for the elf bark, Fitz kind of chimes in like, Hey, I thought you said the herb was not beneficial. And she says, It isn't for skill users. But for him, it may give him the protection he cannot provide for himself. They will try this again, I do not doubt. If they can invade him even for a moment... They will use him to find you. It is an old trick. One I have never heard of, I pointed out as I handed her my bag of elf bark. Also, Fitz, you were trained for, what, two months? Of course you haven't heard of it. Like, <laughs> He did have, you know, talks with Verity about what they can do and things right. like that. But still, I yeah, yeah. I agree. <laughs> I, it just the little haughty, well, I've never heard of it. Like, OK, <laughs> like you have basically a second grade education on the subject. What? (laughs) Oh, Fitz. The fool asks her pointedly, how do you know so much about skill matters? Perhaps I learned by listening instead of asking personal questions all the time, she snapped at him. Now, you are going to drink this, she added. (laughs) (laughs) The fool took the cup but looked over at me. What was that that happened at the last? They held me, and then suddenly it was all earthquake and flood and fire at once. He knit his brow, and then I was gone, scattered. I could not find myself. Then you came. So yeah, I think your your assumption that Verity hit him as well was true, because they were in his mind. So right. even if Verity just targeted the Coterie members, having somebody invade your mind and then them being shattered is going to affect you as well. Right. You know? So that is what scattered the fool. Yes. And... 
I do want to ask quickly, which is going back a little bit. What do you think he means that they came into his mind and were like defiling his memories? Like, do you think they literally go and like destroy memories so you can't think of them? Or when you do, you think of the people who destroyed them? Like, or just the, the fact that they were rifling through and seeing his innermost thoughts? I don't know. I feel like that is enough of a violation for him to. True. I mean, for anyone. For anybody. Really. <laughs> yeah. But especially like we know that the fool is a very, very, very private person. Right. And guards those memories and things very dearly. So that's fair. So Ketrickin is stopping this little chat because she wants to know what's going on before Kettle or Fitz can say more on what potentially the explosion was. She wants to know what's going on. And the fool is the one to speak up to explain that it's kind of hard to explain. <laughs> it's a hard thing to explain, my queen. Like two ruffians bursting into your bedchamber, dragging you from your bed and shaking you, all while calling you by another's name. And when they discovered I was not the Fitz... They were very angry with me. Then came the earthquake and I was dropped down several flights of stairs, metaphorically speaking, of course. And I think this is really interesting because Ketrickin has only ever heard Fitz talk about the skill mm -hmm. and how difficult it is to explain and how there are things about the skill that just are. Mm -hmm. And now we have the fool who I think she trusts to tell her things more based off of their long travels together. Right. And there's some friendship there. And he's also saying, I don't know, it's, it's yeah. kind of like <laughs> this thing, but only in metaphor because it's all happening in your head. <laughs> so I'm It hoping, would be very hard to explain. Yeah, so I'm hoping this kind of gets her to feel better about the fact that Fitz isn't telling her anything, mm -hmm. but it's not because he doesn't want to. It's just because it's hard. <laughs> so Fitz immediately latches onto that last part and says, they let you go. They are not as clever as you feared then turning to Kettle and Kettle says, nor you as clever as I had hoped. Did they let him go or did a skill blast shake them loose? And if so, whose power was that? Verity, I said with sudden certainty, comprehension, comprehension washed over me. They attacked Verity tonight as well, and he defeated them. And then Ketrickin, of course, had just asked, like, what's going on? Here's, I can't really explain that well, but here's like a metaphor that's similar to what happened. And then all of a sudden, oh, they attacked Verity as well. Yeah. So she, she's kind of like, of what do you speak? Who attacks my king? What knowledge of these others who attack the fool does Kettle have? And Fitz is like, I, no one has personal knowledge, my lady, like nothing. We don't know for sure. Sorry, like for, <laughs> for blurting that. But, and Kettle is, is snapping here and she's like, oh, shut up. Let me explain a little bit. I have a scholar's knowledge, if you will, of one who has studied but cannot do a thing. Since Prophet and Catalyst were joined for the moment back in that plaza, I feared they might share a bond the skill users could turn against them. But either the Coterie does not know this, or something distracted them tonight. Perhaps the skill wave that Fitz spoke of. This skill wave. You believe it was Verity's doing? Ketchkin's breath was suddenly swift, her color heightened. Only from him have I ever felt such strength, I told her. Then he lives, she said softly. He lives. Perhaps, Kettle said sourly. 
To blast with skill like that can kill a man, and it may not have been Verity at all. It may have been a failed effort by Will and Regal to get at Fitz. No, I told you, it scattered them like chaff in the wind, and I told you they may have destroyed themselves in trying to kill you. Starling and Ketrikan are both kind of astounded by Kettle's knowledge in this right. at this point. And I think this is why Kettle is so crabby. <laughs> She's oh, yeah. had to reveal a lot tonight yes. in front of yes. everyone. And <laughs> the fool does chime in and says, like, oh, how kind of you to warn me about this. Right. And Kettle has to be like, well, what use would that be? You couldn't have done anything about it. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Except just to think about what was going to happen all the time. Right. But I am a little I do want to say I am a little frustrated with Kettle because she is so careless with Ketrickin's hope. And maybe that's just because I have a soft spot for Ketrickin. But she's finally grasping that maybe Verity really is alive and Kettle's like, or he just killed himself with that blast, or it's not even him at all, so probably not. He's dead. And it's, <laughs> it's like, come on. It is a good realist perspective in case he did die, because what if what if he did in that blast and she didn't chime in, and then they get there, they find him dead, he's like, oh, I thought this could happen. True. <laughs> like, <laughs> True. But I feel like, uh, I don't know, she's just so abrasive whenever she's frustrated that... <laughs> Kettle does explain here of, you know, oh, I didn't warn you for a couple reasons. One, you didn't need to know because what were you going to do besides think of it? And two, we can make this comparison. It took all of our combined efforts to keep Fitz sane on this skill road. You know, keep him focused on everything. Survive the journey into the city. Uh, he, he never would have survived that journey to the city if he hadn't been deadened by elf bark. All of this kind of stuff. Yet these others travel the road and use the skill beacons freely. Obviously, their strength overmatches his by much. So what am I to warn you about? Like, it was going to happen one way or the other. Might mm -hmm. as well just keep going. Hope it doesn't. Right. Which, yeah, that is a really good point that Fitz is considerably weaker. Mm -hmm. And he has a lot of raw natural talent. And I think that makes us as readers forget that he is really far behind them. Yeah. The other Coterie members. And obviously he's well below Verity and skill, but that can be written off as well. Verity's older, he's more trained, but then we forget about the Coterie members and it almost from Fitz's perspective feels like he's almost matching them. Like they know more tricks, but mm -hmm. his strength is more. And yet, hearing Kettle explain like, well, they could walk on the road just fine and also use the skill pillars and not be disoriented that you realize that actually they might be a lot stronger than yeah. it's maybe his internal walls are stronger than their abilities, but I don't know that Fitz is as strong as we might have thought he is. Not anymore. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. And they kind of get in that, into that a little bit later as well with their discussion about Elf Bark. But the beginning of that conversation is uh, first started by, or interrupted, I guess, by Starling. So Kettle, with that kind of exclamation of like, these guys are so much stronger than Fitz. We can't do anything about it. Turns into her musing about like, Again, because she brought this up before, like, what is this? Like, this can't be right. The prophet and the catalyst 
are scarcely more than boys. Green to manhood, untrained in skill, full of pranks and lovesick woes. These are the ones sent to save the world? The fool and I exchanged glances and I saw him take a breath to reply to her. But at that moment, Starling snapped her fingers. And that is what makes the song, she exclaimed suddenly, her face transfigured by delight. Not a song of heroic strength and mighty thewed warriors. No, a song of two, graced only with friendship's strength, each possessed of a loyalty to its king that would not be denied. And that in the refrain, green of madhood, something... Ah! The fool caught my eye, glanced meaningfully down at himself. Green manhood. I really should have showed her, he said quietly. And despite everything, despite even the glowering of my queen, I burst out laughing. <laughs> it was a pretty funny comment. It is. And leave it to the fool to be able to lighten the mood a little bit. Yeah, but instantly Kettle is back at it with the grumpiness and says, Oh, stop it. Kettle rebuked us with such discouragement in her voice that I was instantly sober. It is, either, it is neither the time for songs nor knavery. Are you both too foolish to see the danger you are in? The danger you put all of us in with your vulnerability? I watched her as she reluctantly took my elf bark out of her pack again and put her kettle back to boil. It is the only thing I can think of to do, she apologized to Ketrikin. What is that? To drug the fool at least with elf bark. It will deafen him to them and hide his thoughts from them. So I want to say that I find this interesting and that kettle knows there is danger she has been fully trained and knows all of the capability and knows exactly what kind of danger fits and the fool are in and normally we see fits being the one who understands the danger of the skill and is trying to convince others it's serious and to mm -hmm. take him seriously and them kind of ignoring him reversal of roles here yes and I find that really interesting because Fitz even isn't really taking it seriously because he's like, well, I've never heard of this. So clearly this is just weird knowledge you have, which is so strange to me because I don't know why he just assumes that just because he doesn't know, they don't either. Right. They know so much more than he knows. And he knows that. And it's a little frustrating that he has the blinders on to that extent. But also frustrating that he isn't taking it seriously he does in a little bit here but i think it's just weird that we have this moment of kettle being the voice of reason by saying this is actually really serious mm -hmm. and you guys are both in danger right and fitz knows that you can die from skill attacks he literally watched shrewd die in front of him because of it so i don't know it just is kind of weird that he isn't taking it more seriously I think he is definitely scared, but like, yeah, I, I think he is understanding the danger to the party and the actual possibility of them using the fool. So I, I don't think he has grasped that part at all. Really. Right. Which I understand that skill is so convoluted and that you, I mean, really need to be trained in it to understand. Obviously, we see throughout the different levels of misunderstanding from the different characters. But I still it's like, come on, Fitz. You should know better. Mm -hmm. You should know what is happening. I don't know. Yeah, definitely. And so Kettle says, you know, I'm going to drug the fool at least with elf bark. It will deafen him to them and hide his thoughts from them, meaning the coterie. And Fitz chimes in here. Elf bark doesn't work like that. Doesn't it? 
Kettle turned on me fiercely. Then why was it used traditionally for years for just that purpose? Given to a royal bastard young enough, it could destroy any potential for skill use. Often enough was that done. I shook my head defiantly. I've used it for years to restore my strength after skilling. So has Verity, and it has never... Sweet Ida's mercy, Kettle exclaimed. Tell me you are lying, please. Why should I lie about this? Elfbark revives a man's strength, though it may bring on melancholy spirits following use. Often I would carry Elfbark tea up to Verity in his skill tower to sustain him. My telling faltered. The dismay on Kettle's face was too sincere. What? I asked softly. Elfbark is well known among skilled ones as a thing to avoid, she said quietly. I heard every word, for no one in the tent even seemed to be breathing. It deadens a man to skill, so that he can neither use the skill himself, nor may others reach through its fog to skill to him. It is said to stunt or destroy skill talent in the young, and to impede its development in older skill users. She looked at me with pity in her eyes. You must have been strongly talented once to retain even a semblance of skilling. It cannot be, I said faintly. Think, she bade me, did you ever feel your skill strength wax strong after using it? What of my Lord Verity? Ketrickin suddenly demanded. Kettle shrugged reluctantly. She turned to me. When did he start using it? It was hard for me to focus my mind on her words. So many things were suddenly in a different light. And he kind of thinks back and says, you know, yeah, it cleared my headache and, and made me strong, but I never tried skilling after it. Verity had, he knows, but how successful Fitz couldn't really tell. He didn't really know how successful Verity had been. My erratic talent for skilling, he says, could that have been my elf bark use? Like a lightning bolt was the immense knowledge that Chade had made a mistake in giving it to Verity and me. Chade had made a mistake. It had never occurred to me somehow that Chade could be wrong or mistaken. Chade was my master. Chade read and studied and knew all of the old lore. But he had never been taught to skill. A bastard like myself, he had never been taught to skill. It's the start of the realization that Chade is just human, but also that there's a severe lack of knowledge there, so Kettle must be right. I think that helps with the frustration I got immediately after when Kettle says it's used to stop skill users from feeling the skill or whatever. Yeah, and Fitz and is also like, she says, no, it's not. And also she says... It has been used for years to literally kill the skill talent in young royal bastards. Like, that's right. what it's used for. <laughs> yeah. And then Fitz is like, no, it's not. And it's like, Fitz, I think she knows what she's talking about. And and I think it does help. I, I get frustrated with him when he acts this way. But it helps to remember that his information is coming from Chade and he trusts Chade. Yes, He's, implicitly with his life. He has that childlike mentality of adults know everything. And especially your guardian. I feel like we all probably had that at some point. We knew an adult in our life who was the smartest person in the entire world. And they knew everything and you just believed everything they said. And then one day something happens and you realize that Nobody really knows anything. 
I think it's especially true for Fitz and Chade because of their profession. Right. He has to believe that Chade is in the right and knows exactly what he's doing for everything. Otherwise, how could he justify anything to himself? Right. He has to know that this is for the greater good. This is for King Shrewd. This is what we have to do because of who we are. This is what I'm training you for. It is perfect. Like, you have to do it this way. And that's how he does the the killings that he did when he was young, when he was 14. Right. You know, that's that is his life. So in his world, growing up, training with Chade, Chade was his Bible. That was like the document yeah. that he based <laughs> his entire trust and life on for his profession, his job as an assassin slash spy. To learn that he was wrong is like, oh, my God, what else? Yeah, what else is there? It is a little wild, but, you know, Chade is human, so he is fallible. Yeah, of course. And Especially with that, the skill as an area of expertise. Like, yes. Those scrolls were withheld from him, first of all. Yep. Second of all, they got shipped out because they don't have an actual skill master. Right. <laughs> but also... Was Verity never taught this? You would think that'd be like rule number one. Don't ever take elf bark ever. Why? I mean, I don't think they would need to. He probably never had it before. Right. Well, like when he was growing up, he probably never got it from Solicity. Right. But if it's well known with skill users, you would think Solicity would at the very least be like, oh, by the way, just a little like in case in the future you ever encounter it, say no to elf bark, you know, like like dare programs when you're a kid where they're like, don't do drugs. And obviously wasn't part of their curriculum. Right. Or or Verity just trusted Chade to be like, oh, this is like an elixir to help me restore my strength. Yeah. Ooh. Because that's Chade's job. Right. So there's just a lack of communication between departments right. <laughs> in that business. Right. But I do also want to say that clearly the elf bark doesn't exactly do what Kettle is fearing. I think if elf bark truly stunts growth permanently or can erase the power altogether by the end of the series Fitz would not be able to skill at all and he skills all the (laughs) way to the end he makes his own dragon so and he's taken it since he was like 10 so so I don't think it can be true that it fully does it and we've noticed that it I I think it is I I think you're thinking about this a little bit wrong because she says that it can kill it when you're young and he didn't take a ton when he was young and developing Right, he he only started taking it a little bit after once he's in a like while. Nineteen, here sure, and sure. But I'm talking about like he started when he was like twelve or fourteen, developing a skill. Right, I guess. So I there was a few years in there where he was using it unimpeded. He was growing. He had a lot of strength, like Kettle says. Like you must have been strongly skilled to even retain like an ability to skill. So obviously. The stronger you are, the more elf bark it takes or the more dedicated use of it to kill that ability it takes. And when he's an adult, he takes it after he skills and gets headaches. And she says when you're an adult, it impedes its growth because we know that the more you use the skill, the stronger you get in it. Right. So I feel like she's still correct, but he he was so strong when he was young that he didn't take enough to kill him, like to kill that ability completely. Do you understand, like, that, yes. what, where I'm coming I, from? I understand where you're coming from. I guess it's just, like, 
I feel like 12 is still pretty young to start taking elf bark. Even I, that's what I'm, I don't think yeah. he started taking elf bark when he was 12. Well, after the incident where he almost died, he take that's when he starts getting the headaches because he broke his skull or whatever, right? Or no, is it after the dungeons his head hurts after skilling? Uh, I think it's after the dungeons, but I can't remember. We we have a episode on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, after that, for sure, he takes elf bark, but he takes it before then too. And I just, I don't know. It feels weird to say it for sure kills everything up. Maybe my, I guess my theory in it is that because Fitz can still skill and can still be affected by the skill with the lesser version of Elfbark. Like we know that the mountain or not the mountain, I'm sorry, the, the out island version of Elfbark is Delvin way, Bark. yes, way stronger, kills it immediately, has a very mm-hmm. different effect. And so I'm wondering if maybe as humans evolve, the skill user evolved to like somewhat overcome elf bark in a way. I don't know. Maybe. Or maybe it's just that, you know, the elf bark that they know it in the lands has become less potent over time. Maybe. Because it's not growing. I don't know. World geography changes. So maybe I, I just feel like it's really strange that she's like, I think it's, I think it's dedicated application of elf bark to a young child to kill the skill ability and that was not what happened with Fitz. but he does take it like all the time as a teenager is all i'm saying like a lot for not just skill stuff he's like taking it all the time because he always is in a bad mood and he's always reaching for it he's like addicted to elf bark and he continues that addiction through his adult life but i think it starts as a teenager and that's where i'm I think this yeah. disconnect of like he took it a lot as a teenager. Wouldn't sure. it be? Go- and maybe he was so strong that even though he took it regularly as a teen, it didn't kill it. But I I, I am apt to trust Kettle in its uses at this point. It's not that I don't trust her. I just think that she's like a hundred something years old. <laughs> she's two hundred fifty. Yeah, she's two hundred fifty years old. So potentially over that span of time. Something has changed. Maybe not. Maybe Fitz is just really lucky and the strongest natural born skill user in existence. But I don't know. I'm not fully convinced she's 100% correct. I don't think she's wrong fully either. I think she's mostly right. I just don't think it's as strong as she's Mm. saying. There's probably that danger, obviously, as there is with most things. But I don't think. Yeah, possibly. Although Fitz is also the protagonist of a story, so maybe he has plot <laughs> armor. I don't know. <laughs> Ketcherkin recalls him from his thoughts about this, that Chade was wrong. And Fitz answers the question, which was, you know, when did Verity start using elf bark? And he replies that it was the early years of the war. He was the only skill user to stand between us and the red ships. I believe he had never used the skill so intensely as then, nor Bennett as exhausted by it. So Chade began to give him elf bark to keep up his strength. Kettle blinked a few times. Unused, the skill does not develop, she said almost to herself. Used, it grows and begins to assert itself, and one learns almost instinctively the many uses of, to which it may be put. I found myself nodding faintly to her soft words. Her old eyes came up suddenly to meet mine. She spoke without reservation. You are most likely stunted, both of you, by the elf bark. Verity, as a man grown, may have recovered. He may have been, may have seen his skill grow in the time he has spent away from the herb. 
as you seem to have. Certainly, he seems to have mastered the road alone. She sighed. But I suspect those others have not used it, and their talents and usage of skill have grown and outstripped what is yours. So now you have a choice, Fitchivalry, and only you can make it. The fool has nothing to lose by using the drug. He cannot skill, and by using it, he may keep the coterie from finding him again. But you, I can give you this, and it will deaden you to the skill. It will be harder for them to reach you, and much harder for you to reach out. You might be safer that way, but you will be once more thwarting your talent. Enough elf bark may kill it off completely, and only you can choose. See, that's where I'm getting everything from. Like, enough elf bark can kill it off completely. So I think, like, even though Fitz is addicted to using supplements to keep him going in certain times, he didn't have a dedicated... It wasn't like a slave where they gave it to him every day to keep your strengths up and your spirits right. down. I think that kind of usage would completely kill it. Especially for one so strong. Maybe one not as strong would do, like, every other day or, like, three times a week. I don't know. Whatever the regiment was, that's what I feel like that. Yeah. But this also shows that if you stop using the herb and start using the skill again, once again, you can allow your skill to grow and move past it because you're using the skill. Because the more you use it, the more strength you gain and the more it grows. So that's what stuns uh, Fitz's strength. And at one point, he was probably much, much stronger than anybody else in the Coterie. But once he started using Elf Bark regularly, became addicted to it, didn't use it for, didn't use the skill for like a full year. <laughs> and the Coterie was using it daily and becoming stronger and, and more skilled. They surpassed him in that talent. Right. I don't know. I just think this goes to prove my point, though, because she said, <laughs> I, in, in that, she says that the more you use the skill, the more it grows. So like it's the lack of use, not necessarily the age that is where it's going to stunt it most. And that like, because Fitz didn't really use it. And I mean, Verity is at risk of also having it tampered out. And he was like in his 20 late twenties, early thirties when he started this, that it, it might not, I guess even be about age. It might just be about how little you've used it. Although Verity did use it pretty regularly, I think to keep in contact with chivalry. I think it's, yeah, I think it's, um, your strength of skilling. Basically the larger, the pool of skill you have, the more you're throwing, like I, I imagine it like a handful of sawdust going into a pool of water. The sawdust is the elf bark. It'll soak up some of the water and your pool will shrink a little bit. But if you have a ton, it's going to take a ton of sawdust to soak that up. The smaller your pool is before you have started using it, usually when you're young, you know, the less amount of elf bark it takes to completely dry up that talent. Right. So the more you use the skill and hence probably the older you are because you've used it more over the right. years, your pool is going to be much bigger and it could stop that growth. It could maybe create a dam where that water is getting fed into to make the pool bigger. But if you stop using the herb, eventually the sawdust will get washed out and you'll right. start filling up the pool again. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard. And I do want to say that I I do think that elf bark for sure is hindering 
his ability. Yeah, I, 100%. 100% yeah. he is not where he would have been without it. I don't disagree on that front. Mm-hmm. I just feel like it's not as serious. But <laughs> I still think it's serious. Like, I, <laughs> like she's at a 100 yeah. and I think it's at like an 85, 90 most. Like <laughs> so like, I want to be clear in that I do understand that it probably is very bad. I'm just not 100% convinced. <laughs> So now Fitz is faced with the choice. The fool downs his cup of tea. He gets drugged up. He wants to be blocked off from that potential. But Fitz is faced with the choice of stunt his growth in this magic that can potentially help them. Or be completely safe and blocked off. Right. Well, not even completely safe, just more safe. Yeah, more safe and stunt his growth in the magic or be open, you know. Right. And kind of hope and it's a hard choice it would be hard for anyone and now that he knows what it means to take the elf bark it's harder but he does start by picking up a cup yeah he picks up the cup kettle kind of grimaces a little bit but starts to work on grinding the elf bark to a powder to add it to his tea mug and He glances up and asks Kettle, You said the skill blast might have destroyed them. Kettle shook her head slowly. It is not a thing to count on. There was nothing I could count on, nothing that was certain. Then I set the mug down and crawled over to my blankets. I was suddenly tremendously weary and frightened. I knew Will was out there somewhere seeking me. I could hide myself in elf bark, but it might not be enough to stave him off. It might only weaken my already stunted defenses against him. Abruptly, I knew I would sleep not at all that night. I'll take the watch, I offered, and stood again. He should not, be, he should not stand alone, Kettle said grumpily. His wolf watches with him, Ketrickin told her confidently. He can aid Fitz against this false coterie as no one else can. I wondered how she knew that, but dared not ask her. And Fitz is feeling very down about his outlook for the future at the moment. There's a couple things that have been building up over the couple chapters here. One, that he might have to choose between Molly and Night Eyes in the future. And two, right here, that the Coterie is looking for him, and if he takes the protection that elf bark can give it might just slow them and destroy any chance of actually defending his mind that he has right which is a great point yeah so he's taking his chance with being less protected but sticking to what he knows and his full ability to shield himself right as stunted as it may be yeah trusting in himself which is big yeah, yeah. That's a good choice. Right. Good job, Fitz. <laughs> Very job. proud. He deserves a little treat. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard because I want Fitz to make all of the right choices. I want... Right. I mean, obviously, I don't know what all the right choices are, but I just mean that I want him to be happy and to be safe, and I worry for him, as I'm sure we all do, and to see him struggle with this choice of continue down this hole of making myself less strong or fend them off myself, which also historically hasn't worked in my favor. (laughs) (laughs) It is really hard. And I'm glad that he chose not to 
deaden himself more. Although we know that that doesn't really last because, as I said before, this is an addiction he struggles with the rest of his life. Right, right. And I don't quite understand. I think in his mind it's something to do with he's already stunted anyway and it doesn't really matter because he's not important. But I, I think that's how he justifies it. But it's still sad to know that, like, here in this moment, at one point, he decides that he himself is worth more than deadening himself <laughs> to this talent. Because mm-hmm. so. he thinks he might need his talent in the future. Right. I think after this, when he's by himself on his hut and using off bark, he's like, no one needs me. I'm alone. Yeah. Poor Fitz. So anyways, that is the that's that chapter. We're moving on from the stone dragons. They're continuing on. They had another run in with the coterie. But another after this, near miss. another near miss. Yeah. After this, they continue on their journey closer and closer to seeing Verity again. Yes, finally. So, thank you so much for tuning in this week. If you have anything to say or um, chime in about our conversation about what elf bark actually is, if it's mm-hmm. as potent as Kettle says it is, please let us know your thoughts. You can email us at, uh, excuse me, you can email us at isfitzappy at gmail.com or you can message us directly at any of our uh, social medias, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at isfitzhappy. Thanks so much for listening. Can't wait to hear what you have to say. Okay. Now we have... I think the most poppin section we're ever going to have or have had so far at the very least. <laughs> Continue to keep it coming. Lots of um, conversations. We have a lot of stuff to talk about. We ended up recording a couple things in advance because of the two part. So we didn't get to do things as succinctly as we normally do. So we're going to break things up a little bit differently this time. And we're going to try to kind of group things together. Yeah, not that much differently, but I don't know. (laughs) A little more structured, maybe. (laughs) Probably not, but we'll try. (laughs) It's going to be loose. It's us. Um, (laughs) So that being said, um, we're going to talk first about episode 94 yes so two episodes prior to this yeah this was uh chapter 29 part two the rooster crown so this was the whole vision that fits and the fool shared kind of thing yeah yeah and we got some comments and questions that we wanted to talk about uh first i want to start by saying that ellen commented that fits are you sure or i'm sorry luke (laughs) A Freudian slip. Luke, are you sure you're correct? That girl on the dragon is Ralder's dragon. Uh, and then was quickly filed up, followed up by, I Googled it and you're correct. But I agree, Ellen. I think it's fishy because the fool puts his hand on a dragon and is like, ah, oh, Ralder's dragon. And it comes to life. I So I kind of have an explanation for that. Uh, just to continue this chapter's conversation about it a little bit. Yes. They are sitting next to that stone dragon. Fitz and the fool are skill linked. And the fool has his hand on the stone dragon, dwelling on his skill dream and kind of like reliving that past, really kind of connected to that skill part of himself. Right. Fitz is hard focused on the wit sense of that dragon. 
So I feel like with the skill and the wit that you need, it's only lacking the blood to actually bring it to life. So when it calls, like in that moment, when the fool is reliving that moment, oh, realder, that's what you called me. That was your name in my dream. It's like really focusing on that, those past memories and kind of diving into that skill sense. It almost is there, you know, there's like 75% of the things that it needs to come to life. So that's why it kind of surges, but I don't know. That's fair. I think the only reason I think that it is more likely to be Relder's Dragon there is because later, whenever I think it's next Fitz trilogy, maybe the final trilogy, Fitz is staying with Verity's Dragon, or he comments about a time when he was on Verity's Dragon and he thinks about Verity and feels something stir. Mm. in the dragon yeah, and so maybe. that's what i'm thinking there where i see the similarities but maybe you're right maybe yeah, it I, is i think it's girl and the dragon still <laughs> I, the wiki seems to agree with you yeah, so. and apparently ellen's google did too so. <laughs> ellen also had some thoughts about how ketrican kind of takes starling side over the fools in that potentially it's because Starling and Ketrickin get together and have kind of girl talk, so to say, and that this is Starling complaining and Ketrickin's not really a complain about a thing forever kind of person. She's a meet it head on. And so potentially this is just Ketrickin's shortcoming and that she can't handle. Yeah. And this is a when Ketrickin has the talk with Fitz of like, hey, be nicer to Starling. So yes. Ellen's thoughts are Starling was venting to Ketrickin and Ketrickin's like, I got to fix this. I got to fix it. <laughs> <laughs> you deal with it now, Fitz. <laughs> yes. Which I think is a really good way to look at it. I, I yeah. like that it's kind of a Ketrickin being exasperated by this whole like right. complaining, but not doing anything because she's such a take action kind yeah. of woman that. And Ellen does ask, what if the situation was mostly exaggerated by Ketrickin not handling it well? Right. Which, which definitely could be true because she was short on a lot of emotions, understandably right. during that trip <laughs> and kind of frayed. So yeah, I, I don't know. That's a, uh, that's kind of it kind of blends into Irene's comment a little bit. Yes. And Irene is specifically saying, like, I have to defend Ketrickin during this moment. I read her interference and her request. Give Starling some attention as if she was an exhausted mother who knows that it's not educational to give in to all her children's requests, but who is also so tired that in the end she says, OK, watch TV and leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> it seemed to me she kind of understood that Starling is the problem, but she was too tired to deal with her. And so she addressed Fitz, who seemed, quote, less lunatic than Starling, as if she knows that it's not fair request for Fitz, but she hadn't the time or the energy to deal with anything else. So I, I can definitely see where that all kind of fits together. And it does work with who the people are. Right. Ketrickin is at the end of her rope. She is burning it from both ends and fraying. And, and if she gets, you know, complained to with how straightforward and blunt she is and how that's the mountain way, I could see her being like, this is a problem that other people need to fix, but it's on me. So I will bring it to the other party. Right. To fix. <laughs> right. And I think. 
she knows that what she's doing isn't necessarily the best way to go about it. She says that when she starts talking to Fitz, she's like, I don't even know if I should tell you this, but Starling has a huge crush on you and you need to act right. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I do like this idea of Ketrickin is just so tired that the complaining is like, it's got to stop. Something has to change. I can't deal with it anymore. And I do kind of feel like it a little bit makes me feel better because I don't think in this version that fool was taken into the equation at all. I think mm-hmm. that is just something like, unfortunately his feelings were left out because it's, he's not the one complaining. He's right. having a good time. He'll mm-hmm. be fine. <laughs> and so I kind of like that. It's not about like the fool is less important than, or the fool's feelings are less important than starlings. Just starling is being the loudest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I really enjoyed that point of view. Thank you guys for sharing that with us. As a quick little comment in here, uh, Bastian has confirmed that, yes, you can noodle for catfish in like muddy waters. But what they were probably doing is tickling for trout, which you can also do. It kind of stuns them. And since it is a clear like off mountain river, that's probably what they were fishing for in the in the water fits in the fool yes when they were playing in it and trying to catch fish which is also a little bit weird to me that there's an animal that you tickle its belly and it just like flops over and lets you take it i don't know <laughs> i mean i the believe monster it monster book of monsters yeah. from harry potter okay <laughs> just run your finger down its spine and it's it's okay yes no i it is very funny i don't know it's like so fun how many people come to us who have like real world experiences in outdoorsy things that you and I are not (laughs) equipped to understand I mean I knew about like the catfish thing but the trout was a new one so that's good yeah Yeah. I don't know so it's always really fun whenever we get like oh yeah in the real world you can do this too and I don't know we love those so so thank you for telling us about trout fishing trout tickling (laughs) Oh, and going back a little bit to and speaking more on the talk that Ketrickin has with Fitz at the end. You know how we spoke on Ketrickin's crush on Fitz a little bit yes. here. And, and John makes a comment on Facebook on this about how they are following along with Buckkeep Radio as well. And kind of read ahead and finished the last <laughs> book because... Bucky Radio is like almost done with their podcast, so go Which check them out crazy. too. Which yeah, is crazy. You can read crazy. all of them if yeah. you're tired of going chapter by chapter with us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Take a break and read the whole thing. <laughs> so, so they they were rereading uh, Assassin's Fate and got to the end where Ketrakin kind of reaches that acceptance of her lifelong love for Fitz, and can't help but read that into the this chapter as well of like don't look at me with my lord's eyes like how that's kind of shining through so a little bit of uh validation i guess for me for um (laughs) and i think you too like now recognize that when you're rereading now of just like this can't be anything other than kind of a little bit guilt a little bit crush right kind of like uncomfortable moment for her it's just so hard once you know for a fact that Ketrickin, at least at the very end of Fitz's life, has had a crush on him for a while to not read that into these earlier books, too. Yeah, definitely. Which, if you are blind like me, you missed, but apparently almost everybody saw it, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's just so weird because I don't typically miss stuff like that in reading, but this one like completely blindsided me, which is fun because <laughs> it doesn't happen to me very often, but right. I'm also a little salty about it. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, we got a comment from Gnome who wants to know if we think that there is a little bit of foreshadowing of the fool's resurrection in the scene where fool and Fitz are skill linked. Yes. And, and kind of talking about the rooster crown. This is specifically when the fool is shaken out of his reverie, when he collapses at the end of that skill vision and is on the ground. Fool, uh, Fitz rushes over to him, drags him to like a tree, kind of smacks him awake or puts water on him or whatever it was. Right. So, uh, Fitz says you're alive again during yeah. that and they're kind of talking about what happened in the rooster crown during that yeah and I think I love the idea that this is foreshadowing I don't know if it was if or if it's like once she got to this point it was like oh yeah I wrote this this would be great either way really well done yes and definitely very reminiscent of what is to happen in just yeah. six short books yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah linking the resurrection to the rooster crown is very interesting and yeah and a cool catch so thank you for that yeah and we do have uh, one other mention about episode 94 specifically which is an email we got from jess so thank you first off for sending a, for sending a, a nice email here and specifically just dives into the wit bond. I know we had a, a conversation about that speaking on night eyes and his feelings for all the stone dragons. And we got to talking about the wit bond itself, how wit bonded animals can maybe communicate with each other or feel each other and how that kind of works. And we were kind of postulating different things. So Jess wants to ask a couple questions about our thoughts on how things work. Do you think that animals that are witted can form wit bonds with another animal that is not a human? Humans are just sort of an animal after all. Or does the wit bond hinge on the premise that the way a human would think is dramatically different to the way another animal would think? Example, complex reasoning and language, problem solving, planning, etc. So I personally think that it has to be between a human and an animal. Yes. And I say that specifically because I think that what draws witted humans to specific animals is the like characteristics, which I don't think you would find in other animals. Mm -hmm. Like Fitz is kind of a wolfish person, which or dog like person, which we know is probably partially due to his wit bonds to dogs from a young age or to the canine family <laughs> from a young age. But also, I think naturally you just have some characteristics that probably innately fit with certain animals. Mm -hmm. And I don't think animals, at least the way they are described in this world, have that. I think specific animals have specific characteristic and traits. Right. And while they would work well together, I think only in the way that two witted people getting married would work well together. I think uh, Jess actually does touch on this, too. At the end of the email, uh, they say, 
I'm curious about what makes up the base slash premise of a wit bond, the sharing of mental resources that are on the opposite ends of the scale, human and animal, and then the next layer, a mutual recognition between two witted beings, the way Night Eyes and Fitz saw themselves in each other the first time they met in the market. So I think that second point really mirrors what you're saying right there. And I really do agree with you that it's just a human and an animal. And my specific reasoning for that is not necessarily that they have so many unique, different mental capacities or traits to offer one another. And that's what makes the form. I think it's Fitz's assertion that every living being has the wit to some point, you know, he, he calls in like a mother's ability to detect the child's restlessness before it starts crying or, you know, whatever kind of thing. There's some sort of life sense around you for every human. And that is true for every animal as well. We're all connected. We want to be connected. And so the people who are most connected to that life sense, animals and humans, look for each other. And what links them together with only animals and humans is what you said before, that kind of like-minded mentality, the traits that they share and other animals wouldn't want to link with one another, especially if they have different lifestyles too. There's some impossibilities in there with a landlocked animal versus a sea locked animal, something like that. Right. So I, I feel like it's a combination of that's, that's what mainly drives it is the two beings being way more connected to that wit to the old blood and then those characteristics being joined together right and i really think that i mean if you think about it like there are packs right in dog world (laughs) there are packs of animals so they're the same animal and they all like link together they all have Mm -hmm. some sort of way of communicating and they talk and i think of it like that where there's that level of bond that like animals can do with each other. But I think the one with the human is deeper Yeah, and that human brings more of, I guess more worry (laughs) to an animal, but also that's actually the second part of Jess's email here is what do each of them get out of it? Because I know we've had other comments before too, of like, it seems like night eyes gets more out of it than fits, but on the reread through, or at least, uh, um, Fitz was getting more than Night, Night Eyes, but on the reread through, I see how much Night Eyes is changing, that sort of thing. Right. And I, it's kind of coming down to the animals get a lot of cognitive improvements for planning, for thinking ahead, for, you know, complex thoughts and critical thinking, for th- ideas outside of their lifestyle. And people get like sense improvements. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking the animals get the better end of the deal because they get like pets and snacks. (laughs) True. True. Domestication Uh, (laughs) is a wonderful thing for some animals. I'm sure. (laughs) I, I do want to say, I think fits at least not, not just fits. I, I won't say it. I'll say in general old blood, and this may be particular to wolves. I don't know. But I'm going to make the assumption that old blood and humans who are bonded to wit animals get to release some of their worry. They get to they get the ability or get taught how to just care after something else, right. you know, really connect deeply to a, on a natural level to everything around them in a way that they couldn't if they were just with humans. And that's right. kind of the sharing that animals offer because they are connected to everything. It seems right. at all points. 
So this sort of sharing of traits and bonds, yes, animals get complex thought, but humans seem to be more connected and actually develop more of a, you know, a full, a full life sense, which is, you know, an obvious thing. If you have the wit, you're going to have a life sense, but (laughs) I'm I'm struggling to like put into words what I mean, but they just feel more a part of the world, the living world connected to the now. Yes. Which is something that Night Eyes is trying to convey to Fitz all the time. And in this chapter is the Fitz other way around. It, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that's that's mainly at least my thoughts on how the wit bond works, what the, what is shared. Right. So thank you so much, Jess, for emailing that. It's it's always fun to think about the origins and how things work I, for the skill. I can put together some ideas, but like. There's so much that we don't know about that. The wit is a little bit more straightforward. So thank you very much. And so it wraps up 94 and we'll kind of move on to some of the topics that the comments that we got for chapter 95, which is part one of chapter 30, the stone garden. So this is when they're first kind of encountering the stone dragons and things like that. Uh, we had talked about in that in that chapter different genders that Fitz was feeling with the wit. Yes. How he named like one dragon a he and one was definitely a she. And Emma was specifically talking about that actually. Yeah. And uh we have a comment from Noam here on this one as well. Wondering wondering why or if this would explain the reason that Fitz has so much difficulty expressing himself about the gender identity of the fool later on and like in general, just kind of confused about the importance of gender to him. Right. He's having a hard time conveying why he puts an importance on. gender. Yes, exactly. And with that topic asking also, if what people can sense a person's gender, how do you think they would react to a trans person? Which is a very, very interesting topic as well, because right. this was written in the 90s. Robin Hobb was probably not on the pulse of that, <laughs> that <laughs> of, culture. <laughs> right. Of how, like, and probably didn't know very much about transgender exactly. people or even non-binary people. I don't think that was a larger conversation in grasp of public knowledge easily (laughs) in the 90s at the very least i mean obviously in some circles it was easier but so bastion actually has a response to this a little bit on the same comment thread saying as wit is very much based on the sharing of feelings emotions or instincts i feel like the perception of gender by a witted one is very much based on to which gender you instinctively relate the most or whichever is compatible with your own self-image which i can agree with because that's kind of actually where i was going with before i saw that reply because the witted one like the wit seems to sense who you are I feel like deep down, if you were, if Fitz to, was to encounter someone who is transgender, 
he would instinctively grasp who they were, right. you know, and who they, they felt as, because it's not necessarily the skill and your brain. It's like it's, who your yeah. body projects you to be. It's not about the plumbing. Right. Exactly. <laughs> it's about who you are. Yeah. So I, I think that makes sense. And I think, uh, Bastian put it in, in a, a very decent way there. Of, yeah. It's really just like your emotions and your sense of self. Yeah. Basically. It's very well put. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which I definitely uh, agree with. And then the other part of uh, Noam's comment there, the beginning part was Fitz's struggle to identify the importance of gender on it, which is a recurring theme, especially when he talks to the fool about this and later beloved and later Lord Golden and uh, about Amber, you know, yes. all of these different aspects of the fool confuse fits because I think someone who is gender fluid or who doesn't care about genders and not necessarily like puts any importance on that for someone who can't for someone who senses somebody's gender, which we're assuming still, this is all based on assumption that he can feel through the wit, like what people perceive themselves as for someone who can't feel his closest friend Right. (laughs) Beloved with the wit at all. Fitz is confused about why the fool is changing his supposed gender. Right. Multiple times and why he feels like it's a part of himself still. Right. I'm sure. I mean, we know, at least from Fitz's perspective, we never meet anyone that is non-binary or transgender besides or not transgender. I'm sorry, but non-binary or gender fluid like the fool. I think the fool is the only example that we have. And mm-hmm. so it's not like someone he can actually sense with the wit is there to have this knowledge base. Right. It's just the fool who he can't sense at all, who is constantly changing his outward perception of what gender is. And so if you're used to the binary of nature and no, I know all of nature is not binary, but like what Fitz knows as like dogs, horses, (laughs) we breed them to make better dogs and horses. Yes, there is man and woman. That's what he understands. (laughs) Uh, From someone coming from that world to trying to understand someone, someone's perception of the world that is so vastly different than his own he is he struggles vocalizing it and trying to get those words across in a non hurtful way (laughs) right and i think it is it's nice that fitz is trying to be like respectful but still get his point across of like well obviously gender is important because well because it is and the fool's like but why though (laughs) This is also a very good thing to bring up now just so we can remember it for later conversations, because I know it does come up a lot later on. Right. But this is a good like introduction to that and a a good segue into those conversations, because we should remember that he is that Fitz is coming from a background of maybe being able to understand people and then not getting a read on the fool at all. Right. You know. And right. the fool is a different species as well. Yes. So like <laughs> that kind also of compliment, some... complicates things. Yes. I also do think it it also pulls on the play where Fitz feels like the fool is a different person when he plays these different parts. Yeah. And the fool kind of is. I think the fool really gets into these characters, but I think they're all faucets of himself. Yeah, they're, they're definitely different parts of him. And I think Beloved tries to explain that, but Fitz feels like... 
you're having a whole separate life on these different different facets that you're kind of compartmentalizing yourself and it's not you anymore. When you yeah. change into this different person, I don't see you at all. It's this different person, which I think is a an issue that is an actual issue that beloved has. Right. Like he uses that as an escape to say, this is, yeah, this is me. This is my self-expression in this part of my life, but it right. can't cross over because this is my other part of my life. Right. You know, and, and maybe beloved never had that place to just be beloved, except right. with Fitz, who he desperately tries to make understand. Right. No, it is a really interesting, mm-hmm. but it is good to bring up these topics too. And just, like get them out there in the verse and um of course we always want to be respectful so yes so if if we are sound uneducated on this please let us know educate and correct us, us. we uh, will educate, educate the rest yes we'll try <laughs> we to. will put out corrections if we have wrong terms or anything please let us know as right. well um i'm i don't know much but i'm a cis hetero man like i <laughs> i'm a white cis hetero man <laughs> struggling through life here with so many woes in my way and, and blockers, please. No, yeah. I'm, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, seriously, though, I, we do want to try to be respectful and, and please let us know if anything from your perspectives and your unique life, life situations and how you guys identify. Please let us know if anything rings a bell to you, if, if you can find any links between um, those real world experiences and the fool and help us understand the fool better because he is a very enigmatic character. Yes. Or even just communicate better. If we're using terms yeah. that are bad, let us know. We don't want to yeah. keep using them. So, exactly. <laughs> so that is also just a little PSA out there. <laughs> another segue into another comment about the fool and uh, the romantic conversation that he and Fitz had or about love. Degenhart had a comment about the topic of love and that conversation that Fitz and the Fool had. They say, I think what the Fool wants to say is more akin to how polyamorous folk would think about love. He doesn't get the distinction between so-called platonic and romantic love because for him there is no difference. Love is love. So the Fool loves Fitz like Fitz loves Molly and there's no thought of plumbing or anything. It's just love. And I think we touched on that a little bit in the... In the uh, in the episode itself, how we were saying that the fool isn't grasping what Fitz is trying to say. First of all, because Fitz doesn't say it really, well. right? But two, he's kind of being obtuse a little bit and saying like there is no difference. Plumbing doesn't matter, which is true. But in Fitz's mind, it is at the moment just straight. This is love. It includes lust attached. Or some, like, amorous feelings towards another person. And that's what, to me, I love Molly like. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's not just because of her body, but that is part of it. Yeah, that's that's why it's it's different. Because because I just love you. I don't lust you. (laughs) (laughs) But that it is a good point and a good reminder that the fool frames it differently than Fitz does. And they, they come from different places. The fool comes from a place where he had two dads growing up, two dads and a mom and a mom. Yeah. Yeah. So it's vastly different from an orphan who is surrounded by people of like, it's strictly man and woman. Cause that's proper in a Royal court. Right. You know? Yeah. They're not exactly <laughs> like, 
LGBTQ friendly at the court, it seems, <laughs> at least in this era. <laughs> right. But yeah, it is really interesting to see the different life perspectives. It's always, I love the fool and that he brings these perspectives in and that he kind of shows Fitz and the reader that there are different ways to think about life, that things aren't always black and white and that they don't have to be just the way that you know them and that it's okay to think of them the way that you know them. But like sometimes hearing other people out can widen your experience and help yeah. you learn more. And again, super interesting conversation for the nineties for this to right. come out in. Yeah. A little wild. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I don't know how much of this is purposeful and how much of it is just happy accident that we can read into now mm -hmm. with more knowledge on the subjects as a whole. Robin Hobb has gone back on, you know, not gone back, but like has stated a couple things about the relationship between Fitz and the fool, but like death of the author happens and we can go back and interpret after she has written yes. these series, you know? Yeah. And there's a lot of subtext here that, I don't agree with her saying that there was no ever like romantic relationship between Fitz and the <laughs> fool or like leaning that way whatsoever. Platonic relationships are great and it's fantastic that that's what's presented here right now. But I don't know. The fool loves Fitz. Like, <laughs> yes, but I think, I think Luke and I are both people who read things and then interpret them in our own way. And that's why we're some, doing this. Yes, yeah, obviously. <laughs> um, but I think to some extent, kind of the author doesn't matter. Don't tell Robin Hobb I said that because I love her and I think she's a great author and the, these are great series. But like once she's done writing it, I kind of don't care what she has to say because I it's my story now. I think that's kind of as exasperated by the recent uh, Harry Potter <laughs> yes, uh, stuff. Yes, <laughs> that um, has like cemented my views of like yeah, separate I, the author from the work. <laughs> I agreed with that. And then that just kind of 100% agreed, like hardline, like the author doesn't matter after the piece is written. You yeah, know? <laughs> when it's finished, it's done. Like <laughs> Always accept more on it, but not like one-off comments. No. And, and it's nice to get insight to how the author meant it and yeah, how definitely. they view it. But I mean, we're all different people and we all come from different backgrounds. So of course we're all going to read differently in, mm -hmm. versus what was intended. Mm -hmm. So... I think that's the fun part about reading, though. Yeah. There is one more comment on this post about Stone Dragons and Immortality, uh, immortality by Bastion. And th we're, that was in regards to the conversation that we had when Emma and I were discussing what's the benefits of going, like making a stone dragon and going into the skill after you die. I was saying like you kind of retain your identity a little bit more or at least that immortality instead right. of just slipping away into the skill stream and becoming a part of the whole. How there is like benefits to both or whatever. And Bastion is talking here about that the identity kind of slips away over the years. And I can kind of agree with that. He he, he cites the example of Fitz waking up the dragons and some of them are just kind of primal thoughts. They're just like an animal, basically. Uh, but wisdom kind of remembers the, the wisdom, the dragon as wisdom or whatever it is. Wisdom as a dragon yeah. <laughs> <laughs> remembers buckkeep and, and something about that. But they really need Verity to kind of like corral them into a purpose. So I can I can agree with that, that 
the identity that you first put into a dragon erodes over the years, but it melds into its own identity. It might not be yours, but it's not a part of the whole collective where there are no identities in a skill stream. You are part of the world still. And I think that's what I was getting at as the appeal right. of the immortality. You're still there. A part of you sculpted this. Like you right. created this with something. And I don't know. It's that that's mainly what I, I totally understand. Like it's degrading away your individuality, but you still have an identity with your coterie. Right. Yeah, I don't know. It's a tough one. I don't know how to feel on it, honestly, but it was a good take. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Bastion, for that very interesting comment. Yeah, there's more on there, but yes. uh, it's, yeah, it's interesting. And definitely go take a read. It's the one, it's a comment on Facebook. Um, and then I do want to end it with a quick comment from Amir on Instagram that also has to do with stone dragons, just a little bit off what we are already talking about and that um, they believe that the size of a dragon doesn't really matter. Um, like it's still the same amount of yeah. skill and memories to build one. Yeah. We so, were, we were talking about like the size of them and how massive they were. Yeah. Because the first dragon they come across, the head alone is the size of a horse. Right. And that's crazy big. And so I was, I was saying that I don't understand like how many people, made that, you know, I think I was making the comment that I don't understand how those are so big and then Verities isn't very big, but mm -hmm. I think Verities is also pretty big. <laughs> yes, yes, his is massive as well. So the comment was just that it's the intention and it's what people are building, mm -hmm. but it all still takes the same amount, which I thought was really interesting to think on. Yeah, Amir says that somewhere in Assassin's Fate, it kind of notes that. So we'll have to keep our eyes out for that because yeah. I don't remember anything about that. Yeah. But I haven't read it in a while either. I think I read it within the first few months it came out, which was years ago now. Right. And I know our a lot of our listeners, you guys are listening along with Puck Keep 2. As we said, they're near the end. So you guys are probably picking up on things that we're like grasping at vaguely. Right. So, so as always, feel free to reach out and let us know when we forgot something mm -hmm. because we will. There are 16 books. So. Yeah. But Amir does mention that Fitz's wolf at the end is about the size of a horse and cart. So it is yes. a lot smaller than the dragons, but still massive. Yeah. So it demands the same amount of memories as any which is interesting to me because it's Fitz, who's like 60. Night Eyes, who's already passed away, but kind of lives in Fitz's mind a little bit oh. because of the, what I don't know, we had talked about it briefly, but right. we'll talk about it more next series. And then The Fool. And The Fool has lived a long time and has a lot of memories, but that's but only, only like, like... 20 more years. That's like maybe three people with all of them combined, yeah. you know? Maybe th yeah, I don't know. So that normally being six people in a coterie makes me wonder if size is actually a thing or if it's just literally six people are needed to carve this fast before all of us die when we're giving our memories to a dragon, you know, like and to make it bigger. Yeah. Like <laughs> and, and Verity is an anomaly because he was so strong and so filled with purpose for saving that he was able to carve a big one by himself because he's like, I have to save my homeland. Right. So I, I really do want to keep my eye out when we get that far in Assassin's Fate, when 
like I promised this year, I was going to reread all of them again. I'll, I'll keep my eye out this year sometime <laughs> when I'm rereading the, uh, the series. So thank you, Amir, for bringing that to our attention. Yes. Yeah. And- yes. Thank you, Amir. And, and very last but not least is Dana sending us a message about uh, stone dragons as well. And girl on a dragon. They are further behind. We they they know that we're on chapter ninety five, and they'll catch up someday. They That's say, so, yeah. <laughs> but uh, they're specifically talking about. Um, in the earlier episodes, we were mentioning how Fitz didn't remember a lot of his childhood, like from five and under, he didn't remember at all, and he puts how Fitz puts a lot of that pain that he has into girl on a dragon near the end of this book. Right. We were speculating that maybe that's why he doesn't remember mm-hmm. um, because it's in girl and dragon, but they disagree. Yeah. They have a theory that is one that we have talked about a little bit before, but this is a little bit more in depth. So essentially they talk about how, at the end of the final book series, mm-hmm. B tells Fitz that she wants to write his story down so that she has something to remember him by. Mm-hmm. And so while he's building his dragon, he is talking to her and telling her stories. And he starts by saying the first few sentences of the very first book. And so they believe that B is recording what is being said. And the reason that we don't get to know any memories of before Fitz was five is because Fitz has already been working on the stone dragon. So the memories are, are already gone. Yes. We're starting from where Fitz is starting after giving all of his memories to his new stone dragon, which is, which is very interesting. Like I, like Emma said, I had heard the B story before. That's just like a retelling. And there are some things that are issues with that. And I don't like thinking in that framing because it, shifts everything right around but it is a very interesting theory and could fit pretty well with why he doesn't remember certain things the only thing that makes me really doubt this is that multiple times in the story itself they're like you don't remember your mom from when you were a kid that's not right you know like you should right. have some memory so it feels like he either won actually didn't have memory or two if dana's theory is correct here he's making up people saying like oh you should have some memory because he doesn't remember the interactions talking about his mother right and it's just kind of like his brain filling that in of just like i didn't remember ever right yeah it is is interesting to think about yeah yeah I don't know. And it could be that he just didn't want to talk about it. So he told people he didn't want to remember. I don't know. They also stipulate that the epigraphs at the beginning of each paragraph are potentially excerpts from research that B does later after Mm. writing the story down. Yeah, that could Um, definitely be true. And that they're just things that she that she found that fit with what her father was talking about for Mm -hmm. that section of his life. And I absolutely love that idea. I think that's great. I already love the idea of B being the one writing this story word for word from whatever Fitz said, but I really like the idea that it's a research paper too. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, English major. See, I, with my biases, I've already said, we've talked about 
favorite and least favorite characters. I've already said B is not one of my favorite characters to read. I, with my bias, still like it being Tom Badgerlock and Fitz kind of writing this portion, at least, after this trilogy. Maybe the other ones he writes, like, from from B writes or whatever. I don't know. I like the Tom Badgerlock thing and whatever. Right. I don't know. It, It could go either way, and I guess it ultimately doesn't super matter, but... I do like the idea. Yes. So thank you very much for that email and and great thought as well. Hopefully you hear this in, you know, a month or two after you catch up. So (laughs) Depends on if you're binging. (laughs) So see you in a week. (laughs) But thank you all so much for writing in. Um, It was really exciting to get to see so many comments and to get to interact with so many comments, at least on this section. Um, I'll do my best to answer as well as I can in Facebook and uh, in the DMs. Who knows? I might chime in as well and see a little dash L at the bottom of a... If, if there's ever no dash anything, it's because I did it and I forgot that there are two people in this podcast. So just assume it's from me unless it says Luke on it. True. True. I'll, I'll do my best to stick my head out from my cave after editing and try to do some. But thank you guys so much. You guys really make this doing this podcast a more colorful experience and we love hearing all the experiences you guys have and the ways that you guys are reading it and the things that we have missed so thank you for chiming in and thank you for joining us on this journey see you next time